0: From KQED,
1: it was the California politics equivalent of the papal white smoke. Tuesday's announcement from Governor Jerry Brown.
2: Very happy to report that after some rather strenuous negotiations, that um, we've reached a, a sound agreement on the budget, and I think in the way we've uh, come together, you can uh, conclude that this is a, a sound. And well thought out budget.
1: So, a budget deal is the focus of this week's California Politics podcast for the week ending June nineteenth, alongside Marisa Lagos and Anthony York. I'm John Myers. Okay, it's time to dissect this deal. You're feeling very triumphant based on what we said last week, aren't you, Marisa?
0: Yeah, I think we kind of called it the the process, <laughs> how it was going to play out. The fact let's pat ourselves yes, collectively patting, patting, on the back. We're all doing that podcast. podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, you know, I think we knew, you know, going into the weekend that there was going to be this vote Monday. We knew that the final budget was not going to look like the budget the Democrats passed. But I, I think what we nailed in props to Anthony in particular is <laughs> and he's looking real self-satisfied. Yes, he is. Very. Um, was this idea that I really think the Democratic caucus made a concerted decision to pass what they wanted to be able to turn around and show to their various constituents, knowing full well uh, that that was not going to be what the governor signed off on. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it was solely this exercise to get their paycheck that the Republicans accuse them of. I think it was I think it was a political move. I think it was a way to kind of show, like, look, we have these same priorities, but. Let's let Jerry be the bad guy. Well, I mean,
1: so clearly we, we've got a, a lot to dissect here of what I guess I call the political musculature of this 2015-16 state budget. But yeah, I mean, this was a political deal. It's always going to be a political deal. Every budget's a political deal, sure. right?
3: Yeah, it's a statement of priorities and and such. And and you know, and this whole trying to say who won and who lost. I, I heard a really funny uh, interpretation from a, a capital staffer. Who you know was bristling a little bit at the at this popular notion that the that the governor rolled the legislature and by, by using the uh, by using the revenue numbers and things and they said staffer <laughs> said i don 't care how much it's not a matter of how much revenue we say is in the budget it's a matter of how much we spend and <laughs> which I thought was really a sort of an interesting uh an interesting point but um yeah, whatever. Win- winners or losers, you know, whether it's the legislature or the governor, it doesn't really matter. That this is a democratic budget reflects democratic priorities. Um, with a couple, I'm sure we will get to the fact that a couple of uh, to be determined uh, aspects of it, with a couple of special sessions that are coming. But you know, but this was really a matter of of sca- I mean, the priorities that were funded uh, were they were funded. It was just a matter of what, what level of funding they were going to have, and so.
1: Well, let me roll back to the revenue thing uh, with due respect to the anonymous staffer who— None of us can figure out who that is. Who reigned on the—exactly, really. Who reigned on the revenue parade. Um, As someone who has uh, been championing that that parade a a little bit— Exactly. Marisa just got it all figured out right here. Once again, like like we all like you, you can go around the room, folks. Like when we like we talk about a particular staff, we're like, oh yeah. oh yeah, yeah 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 okay, we know who this is.
0: Um, you may you may too podcast. We, yeah, right, right we may
1: out these people on a future podcast. Send us money, we'll see what happens. <laughs> but I want to talk about the revenue thing for just a moment because I do think the revenues are important, notwithstanding that comment, because the legislature had continued to use these more optimistic predictions, which came from the legislative analyst, uh, uh, stronger economy, stronger tax revenues. $2, 3000000000 billion more over the course of the budget planning. The governor was insistent he wasn't going to use them. Uh, and I asked him the revenue question in the press conference. And I just want to play a little excerpt of exactly his take on revenues.
2: The Department of Finance, has professional, serious forecasters, and they have a methodology, and they certainly update that uh, from time to time, but they apply it and come up with the best judgment they can And so if we start uh, fiddling with that, then we get subjective, uh, political, and I'm not prepared to do that. The legislative analyst, he has another way of looking at these things. Uh, Going out to the future, one never uh, precisely knows, and whatever we say, it's always a little different.
1: There's a lot of Chuckling here in the (laughs) studio.
0: That is news to me. The Department of Finance is not political. Jerry Brown
3: doesn't want to introduce politics into this process. (laughs) The
0: the Department of Finance isn't influenced by who the governor is and what their
3: philosophies. Just an an objective look at the numbers,
1: man. There's no subjectivity (laughs) at all in revenue predictions. Okay, but you know, I think that that's his worldview. You know, that his people have the expertise, but they also reflect his take. On what we should be doing, which is careful <laughs> coincidence, conservatism in, in revenue predictions. Right. I, Compared the latter la- is his
3: worldview, not the former. I mean, but, I, I think that the more, look, the Department of Finance, since Brown has become governor, has consistently had more conservative revenue projections than the LAO. Over the last couple of years, the LAO has actually been right, but that's maybe another podcast. But, um, but, that's politics, man. I mean, that—that right. that is the definition of politics. And
0: let's go back, you know, to the last administration in a time when there was deep, deep deficits. And,
1: and the one before with and, deep deficits. Yeah. yeah and Schwarzenegger, and, and in Schwarzenegger
0: in particular, you know, I think had, you know, directed the Department of Finance sure. to be what, you know. People who support him would call creative, and what other people might have a less flattering term in terms of the way that they decided to sort of paper together, you know, funds and and budget numbers. So, I mean, I think we can all agree. I'm I'm I think even the governor can agree.
1: But 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 to that point, I mean, you know, and I want to just the revenue thing is so fascinating to me for a couple of things because I mean, first of all, as we've talked about on prior podcasts over the last few weeks, you set the revenue number. That influences the school guarantee, Proposition 98. Now we have Proposition 2. And I want to talk about Prop 2 again in a moment because Prop 2 is a very big deal that is going to change long-term what we do in budgets. Okay, so Anthony's nodding. So Mark over here, Prop 2, we'll talk about. But the other element to being conservative about those numbers is that when you come back and you have been proved uh, too conservative, right, that the numbers are higher, you get to say this is a surplus, and when you call it a surplus, you get to define it as, well, we should only use it on one-time spending rather than right. ongoing projects. The governor has been very, very good. He's very politically astute at at framing what that money is. And that, to me, is a big deal in this budget because you saw Democrats, again, wanting um, ongoing programmatic funding that they didn't get. Then if the numbers come back again and we have the money, the governor will call it one time and it will go towards debt and other projects that don't keep having a, an expense tag. It and, also
2: just
0: benefits his narrative that he is this, you know, elder statesman who came in and is responsible and is, you know, has created, created surpluses. surpluses. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. and and I don't know if John you want to talk about this but we were discussing this yesterday that also creates a little bit of, you know, a downside for the governor depending on what happens in these two special sessions that they've called outside the budget process to look at transportation funding and to look at healthcare funding. Um read taxes. Um, so, you know, what politically is it an easier or harder sell to say we need to raise taxes to pay for these important programs if you keep saying, but we have surpluses. Yeah. Well, and
3: then to John's point, the, but those are what we're talking about in terms of infrastructure needs and healthcare. We're talking about ongoing programs, ongoing needs, whereas these things one with one-time funding. I had this sort of revelation about Prop Two. I mean, I don't know
0: if now is the time. Can I we're can talk I just jump in it. on that though? Like, sure. is that I understand that debate happening in Sacramento, but is that something that your average citizen will really see as a distinction without a difference? Well, I
3: think that that the healthcare stuff and the transportation stuff we're gonna, although there's now legally because of Prop Twenty Six, not really a distinction in terms of uh, between a fee and a tax. There's not that legal barrier is gone. I think what we're talking about for these special sessions are going to resemble what we what the traditional definition of fees where where uh, uh you know something is assessed say on drivers to pay for roads or where there's a connection between the money that's being raised and the money that's being spent instead of being thrown into the general fund yeah. pot, but, so
1: but so talk about Prop Two, just because I think we're let's let's keep setting the stage here for the bigger picture, and then I want to get down to some of the details. But Prop Two again, the rainy day fund that this was the first year, really the rainy day fund expansion of it after voters passed it in the fall, kicked yeah. into the budget process, and it's going to capture
3: a lot of money. And and uh, and I think a big part of what this is going to be used for going forward, if you it's an, there's another priority the governor talked about that was not mentioned in this May revision that qualifies under Prop 2 spending, retiree healthcare costs. When we look at unfunded ret- uh, retirement liabilities, that is going to be that, – and that's the political genius of Prop 2. I just sort of figured – I'm a little slow, so I just figured this out this year. It's like this is a way to sort of siphon off payments for uh, for retirement obligations. I think that, that does so in a way that's not quote-unquote general fund revenue. Right? It's a separate pot of money. It can only be ear- it's earmarked for certain kinds of things. And yet you have these these uh, these unfunded liabilities that I think we're going to see will start to be paid out of the prop 2 fund. That's my, my bold prediction for the day.
1: Well, and and mm-hmm. we've got more podcasts to come, but I will say in a conversation um, with a, a political consultant in town this week, we were talking about 2016. But back to Prop 2 just for a moment, the conversation was is that when people start looking at tax measures for the for, for the 2016 ballot and beyond, Prop 2 now is changing the dynamic because it takes so much of the money that you otherwise would have had under tax measures. It's going to change a lot of things. And so Prop 2, we put a little pin in. But-
0: well, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, look at what I – mean- You know, a week ago, we were talking about the fact that the legislature had essentially said we want to spend, you know, what, 750 million more dollars than the governor is saying. um, Right. On on things outside of 98. Yeah. Yeah. There was like
1: a yeah, there was some 750 to 800 million dollar
0: gap. let's say so. And I think, you know, we all thought the governor would ultimately prevail on the revenue stuff, but maybe that they would get a little bit more wiggle room on these, you know, these priority spending priorities they got 61 million i mean that's not
2: for the the folks
0: (laughs) calling all of us saying oh we didn't get rolled i mean i I don't think i mean maybe yeah maybe you didn't get rolled because you all knew this was happening going in i mean my conversations with folks this week it seemed like this budget deal was very well down the line prior to monday's vote right i mean they didn't come out a day later and announce it in
1: other words this notion that no one really knew where things were going to land until after monday's vote Ain't so I don't
0: think uh, that's true. And
1: and I think that is sort of that's been the legislature's
3: negotiation tactic kind of historically is really set out an agenda that that is, uh, you know, that reaches for the stars so that when you compromise, even though, you know, you quote unquote compromise, it actually is a closer reflection to what you if people were being honest going into these negotiations, it's probably where they. Somewhere close to where they thought they would land eventually, right. anyway. Well,
0: and that's my point. Like, just to get to like into the nitty gritty here. I mean, yeah, which is I where think, I want to go. Yeah, I I think that you know the. The Senate especially, but I think this was a priority of both houses, did get a huge win on this funding of health benefits for undocumented That's kids. Big, I mean, that was a policy. big, big price tag and a big policy win. I think on a lot of other things that we're going to see continue to be discussed around IHSS, around welfare, around, well, maybe not welfare as much. I think that one's just out, but around, you know, other health programs. Um, they wanted to make the stand and show their constituents that these were Important issues to them, and that you know that they would, if if they were king of the world, they they would be funding that.
1: So let's yeah. let's do that. Let's do the quick overview of kind of what the, the the big points are, and and Marisa has mentioned one of them here on this medical funding uh, issue. So I'm going to put that in on the list. So first of all, back to that 61 million dollar number. Again, can't emphasize that enough. There is only 61 million dollars more spending in this budget than the May revision, which is effectively nothing Budget does well, you know, and no offense, I'd love to have sixty one million personally, but in a one hundred and sixty eight billion dollar state spending budget, that ain't a lot of money. So the governor really kept spending where he wanted. If you look at some of the things that changed that the legislature got, yes, the forty million dollars to expand MediCal to uh, cover undocumented children. So effectively covering uh, almost all children in California now, regardless of immigration status. However, it doesn't kick in until next May. That's how it only costs $40 million. The administration believes that's going to cost $132 million on an annual basis. And in conference committee of the budget, there was a big discussion about how much this actually will cost. And I think you're going to see some discussion of that moving
3: forward. Does that assume the federal match, the typical Medi-Cal federal match or no? Do I don't think know? it
0: does because they know that it doesn't I think it's 100%. qualify. Yeah, yeah, I mean, when you're talking and about people without really, legal status, and, and and Senator Lara, who championed that, was very clear too. You know, the the, the numbers—they don't expect that everybody suddenly there's going to be tens of thousands of kids signing up on the first right. day, right? I mean, this is something that'll roll in and that there'll be outreach for. Well,
3: it. and I know you're ticking through them. I just on Medi-Cal quickly. I I find it interesting, and we'll get into the special sessions in a little bit. That on the one hand, we're expanding the number of, of people who will be eligible for Medi Cal and will have quote unquote coverage under MediCal. And yet this calling of the special session and the concerns that have been raised by providers is that the networks of healthcare providers are inadequate because there
1: aren't enough doctors to serve
3: the Medi-Cal patients that we have. But anyway, that's we'll get to
1: that in a bit. So the Medi-Cal money is a big deal. Also in here, uh, legislative Democrats had wanted an expansion of child care and preschool services for the working poor. They had wanted 27,000 new slots of those programs. They got 13,800 new slots, so obviously cost less money. Uh, some of that money is included under the school funding guarantee, Prop 98. Some of it is not. Uh, they got an expansion of money for Cal State, uh, which they had been pushing for. They got an expansion of money for the University of California with the strings attached they wanted, which was uh, bring in more in-state students and cap out-of-state students, which is going to be tough because the whole way the UC has been uh, financing itself lately is to let in a lot of out-of-state students. That's another subject for a moment. Uh, the budget deal includes $226 million, which I love this phrase, on a one-time basis. Hint maybe we're not going to do it again, uh, to restore the reduction in service hours for IHSS, in-home supportive services. It also includes a $500 million one-time block grant under Prop 98 for teacher development, which was a victory, I think, for the California Teachers Association, which is money that goes toward those days where they're brought in to do development and training things. Uh, how did it get all of this, given it only spent $61 million more? Uh in uh, a, a, an overview quickly a little bit of everything they assume savings out of medi that the legislative analysts identified during negotiations they assume savings in um, Child care administration, efficiencies in Ifi- child care that's administration. That's
0: what I was going to say. Efficiencies is, now I that, think, Now, the... that
1: sounds like the good old days, right? <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah right. I know. That's, that's right. a budget we can like An- in California. Anything from a criminal, from a penalty judgments of in criminal
1: case,
0: right? Yeah. Remember the <laughs> large never going to get paid. Right. Right. Punitive awards, <laughs>
3: exactly. <laughs> right.
1: We had lots of those fun ones uh, yeah. calling uh, the Schwarzenegger administration. Um it uh, takes some money out of the middle-class scholarship by changing the, um, the, the way you determine your, uh, your family income um, and some innovation awards out of this was one of the things. But anyway, it's a little bit of places here, there, everything to get the Democrats what they wanted. Democrats did not get a lot of what they wanted if you look at uh, spending and other things. And again, I think this is a priorities issue because that Medi-Cal uh, funding uh, for undocumented children And the child care slots were really kind of the top two, I would argue, out of legislative Democrats. What they didn't get is they didn't get the money for CalWORKs, the money for uh, families uh, on welfare to work assistance, and they didn't get the removal of that maximum family grant, which has been in law ever since we had the national debate some 20 years ago about people who have more children when they're in the services. They didn't get money for uh, SSI and SSP, the Aged, Blind, and Disabled, and a, a boost of their monthly grants and their cost of living. And they did not get, and this has been a real flashpoint and will continue to be one, uh, money for developmental services for the developmentally disabled. The conference committee had put in money for some services to go up now and increase in funding, some to go up later. None of that was in the budget. Um, and all of that, I think, weighed into a, an admission, a short admission, of Assembly Speaker Tony Atkins when she was standing next to the governor on Tuesday.
0: We have more work to do. We didn't get everything we wanted accomplished in this budget, so we'll redouble our efforts in future budget deliberations.
1: She and Senate leader Kevin DeLeon have already said they're going to try to deal with the developmental disability funding again, but every in some way, I mean, people can be angry at the governor, but legislative Democrats probably had some places that they were told to pick.
0: Oh, they definitely did. And one staffer I spoke to made an interesting point, which is that the governor has done a really good job of framing this as this sort of question over, you know, being a responsible budget maker and, and that these aren't policy calls. They're really, it's really about revenue. But, Let's face it. I mean, a lot of the programs that he seems to have deep skepticism over lost out in this budget and, and you know, welfare being chief among them. That had been a big push. And I think that, you know, he, I think the governor sort of at its core has not been a huge supporter of these social welfare programs. And they they got left out. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of people out there that um, are rightfully really disappointed about this. I mean, they had every indication that you know, at least the legislature was going to try their hardest on these stuff. And maybe they did, but um, there's definitely a lot of areas that got left out.
1: One more comment to this point. This is when the governor was asked about the Medi-Cal funding and also what legislative Democrats didn't get.
2: In the give and take of this process, the legislature wanted a lot of things. They didn't, uh, at the end, they couldn't have all the things, but there are some things that wanted more than other things. And that was one of those things. And so back and forth discussions, we say, OK, that makes sense. Uh, but we could have easily said, no, we don't want to do immigrant health care. We want to do something else in social services.
1: So they couldn't get everything. And I do want to go back one more time to that first comment we played to the podcast where the governor, and he said it a couple of times during the news conference announcing this, where he called the negotiations tough or strenuous. Now, given the deal happened so fast, I, I wonder what he's alluding to. Is that just him being charitable? Or is that also too talking to, I mean, we, you know, he was asked and no one has really talked about it. Someone maybe can ping us after this that that is privy to this information. Did he threaten to veto it? Did he say, I'm not going to, I mean, what, what was strenuous about this? Um, You know, or does that make, or does that, or is that what Democrats need him to say when they go back to the people who didn't get it? My friends here are both nodding their heads.
0: Yeah, I think it's maybe a little of both. But look, again, I believe that these negotiations started weeks ago. They were ongoing throughout the Democrats process and, and their, you know, and I think that there was also this concerted effort. If you look at who was out there, you know, being the spokesperson for the legislative budgets, it wasn't the pro tem and the speaker to large extent. In the Senate, it was the budget chair, Mark Leno, who was, you know, on KQED's forum show debating with H.D. Palmer from the Department of Finance. You know, I think that all gave them this ability to then stand up there and sort of lock arms as, as leadership with the governor, but also say, hey, this was tough. And I'm sure there were tough conversations. I mean, any negotiation there are but i don't think that this was you know the fights of years past and i think that in large part the legislative leaders knew what they were walking into
1: yes but i do think if you talk to some people like let's take the the activists on the developmental disability funding they were genuinely shocked yeah When they found out that there was nothing for those services in this deal, they, I mean, you know, unless someone's, I mean, and I have had a couple of conversations, they weren't privy to that in some way, and they were angry, and they staged a protest this week, and you're going to hear more about that, and so while the inside politics, some people knew, you know, people, you know, groups like that, they didn't know, and, and, and. These are going to be tough decisions. I mean, I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong, but but to the fact that like some of this was a well, chore- if if it was choreographed well, in some way, yeah, it sure don't... wasn't to people on I the mean, outside.
3: I, I think it it reflects, uh, it does reflect priorities. You know, I, I, look, when uh, it's been no no secret that Kevin De Leon and Ricardo Lara in the Senate have been have been strident champions of the cause of undocumented immigrants. That's a priority for them. It has to do with their core constituency. That's who they are. That's where they come from. Hence the medi funding. Right. When Daryl Steinberg was pro tem, mental health was a major issue mm-hmm. for him. And those issues, and we saw funding for that stuff get re- reflected in the budget because of the priorities of the individual leaders. Speak and I, John Perez, middle-class scholarship funds. Right, it, it, I mean, the list goes on, right? And, uh, and I think the lack of funding for developmental disabilities uh, in this budget is a direct reflection of the fact that it's just not the priority for the legislative leadership or for the governor I, I think that's a that's that's kind of an undeniable fact
1: well and i certainly remember too john burton long time right. state senate leader talked about right. the F- aged blind and disabled and foster and were kids were, a big thing for john right if you were talking well. ssi ssp and yep. you didn't do it right by it john burton would yell and scream and yeah you know use yes. his favorite well, word
0: and yes. i'm not clear how much You know, the the rank and file was really privy to to the details of these conversations prior to to this announcement either. I mean, I'm not saying they didn't understand that they weren't going to get their whole laundry list. But I do think that um, that might reflect why there was such shock among, you know, welfare and developmental disabled advocates, because I think some of the people in the legislature that have been their biggest champions maybe weren't fully aware of of how rough the budget was going to be for those groups.
1: So we know that um, also not in this budget um, by agreement of everybody were a few other things. And so maybe we can pivot to that real quick. First of all, this whole issue of cap and trade and what to do with these cap and trade revenues. We got word prior um, to even the uh, legislative vote on the budget, which feels like it was forever ago, but that was just Monday. And then, of course, there was a deal on Tuesday. And now there'll be budget votes on Friday. But cap-and-trade was kind of held outside the budget, how to use some of that cap-and-trade money. Uh, There's some complexity there. Uh, There's some issues there that could have held up a deal. And what I find interesting is that in the old budget days, right, we would sit there and an entire budget would hinge on one little tiny provision. Mm -hmm. Like I remember we had... uh, contracting of school bus services, which was something Republicans wanted back in the two-thirds day. I remember being in a hallway saying, what about school buses? You know, out of a hundred billion dollar budget. Anyway, so they clearly moved some things out that were contentious. Cap and trade is one of them. And then they took um, some of these healthcare financing issues and this transportation infrastructure um, issue of funding, and they're going to move those to a special session. I don't know what to make of that. I think in some ways... It gives some focus. It might do a few other things. But it also is an acknowledgement that they were too hot to handle to get this budget done on time.
3: Yeah, I think more than that, it's also I think it's kind of a pivot for the governor in some ways. I think it's sort of the end of the I don't want to say the end of the fiscal of the fiscal austerity, but it's the end of 2010 Jerry Brown, who was just say no and just cut, 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 cut and now there's an acknowledgement that certain things can be separated out there's certain things that need to be identified as priorities that cannot be funded within the current revenue structure and may require some additional revenues you know fees taxes whatever combination we're talking about and it, and i think it sets the table in an interesting way for the for the tax discussion whether that's a prop 30 extension or something else and but I, the macro tax
0: and i think discussion. it also You know, is indicative of the the way this governor operates. I mean, I think he sort of doesn't want to have these discussions within the context of the bigger budget when then somebody can like throw in any sort of the kitchen sink. Right. I mean, I think he, you know, has identified some of these things as priorities clearly you know the healthcare stuff there's sort of not an option for the state because of the federal funding changes um i think with transportation you know we've discussed he he mentioned it in january it's been a, kind of a question mark as to how that gets tackled so i think i think this is very very jerry to want to look at these things in a very sort of narrow lens. It
1: also has a very clever political payoff if you're Democrats, because some of the programs you're going to be talking about over there have been embraced by Republicans in the legislature over the last few months. Yep, the now tax you are right. Now you are taking these outside of the budget where there was money potentially for it if you didn't spend it on some other program they didn't like, and you're forcing them to go up on a vote about additional revenues for these programs.
0: Right. And and on issues too like transportation that you know I think there are republican members who are getting a lot of pressure at home and regardless of how you know conservative or liberal your district is when there's potholes in the roads and and people are standing still in traffic there's you know that that's a nonpartisan issue to some extent. Yeah. Not that the funding won't be partisan and, and political, but I think it makes it a lot harder to fight against. And I think
3: these will be very interesting sessions to watch. I mean, however long they take to play out, there's nothing that says that anything has to come out of it at all. There's nothing that says it has to be resolved this year. It could be next year. Um, but it would be interesting to watch sort of the evolution of the Republican Party in this context and, and whether they are willing to put up votes for revenues on things without the linkage and leverage that came with the old two-thirds budget? Will they be willing to put up revenues, uh, votes for revenues for, for, for programs that their constituencies want? And what that means longer term going forward about the relationship between Democrats and Republicans. And, you know, I, I, I keep holding out um, or I, I keep, being, you know, holding out hope Hope, uh, just from a, an observer's <laughs> point, that there may de- be discussions about this sort of macro deal, you know, the mega deal. Again, when we're talking about a 30 extension or something like it to replace 30 as it begins to roll Prop off. 30 taxes. Yeah. And, and whether there's uh, a deal that can be made, uh, you know, larger deal involving regulatory reform, uh, you know, CEQA reform and revenues and tax reform. That might be, again, maybe not this year, maybe not next year even, but um, but whether this might not be sort of a a pivotal moment in the nature of the relationship between the governor and the legislature.
1: Well, and so, again, thinking about the position that this puts everybody in um, again, this was uh, this was probably some smart politics, maybe some necessary politics. So, first of all, on the infrastructure issue. There's so much more need than there is money that comes from the uh, fuel excise tax. And so you've got to find some source. Right. To your point, Marisa, those are near and dear to a lot of people's hearts, uh, Republicans and Democrats. Now, on the healthcare financing, it's not just the Medi-Cal money, which is a big deal, but it's also this developmental disability thing, which is part of the special session. That was near and dear to a lot of Republicans who signed on to this restoration of funding that had been cut during the recession. What is going to go to pay for that? And then I go back to that politics of having to approve some new revenues with Republicans being told by their core that we have this billions of dollars of surplus. Why do we need more revenues? You're already hearing that in the early stages of some Republican activists. How dare any Republican in these special sessions vote for new revenues for these programs because the governor has done an awfully good job at telling the public that there is surplus money.
0: Right. And I think, though, that this is where, like, some of the inner party politics comes in and, you know, they don't need the entire Republican caucus. So I think it's going to be, you know, up to the leadership and and maybe even the party itself, you know, to look at what's on the table and decide, are we willing to sort of give a few people a pass, peel them off, you know, especially related to depending on districts and what their sort of constituencies are, because there are places, right, where you might have – you know, more moderate Dems challenging Republicans who might want to actually turn around and say, look, I funded this, you know,
3: I think there are. And I think, you know, especially if you look in the assembly, that there are a handful of members that were elected over the last cycle and and the cycle before that didn't sign, they refused to sign the no tax pledge, for example. And I think there is this desire among a certain group of Republicans to get out of that sort of of that box that the party has put itself in. Um, That's been a problem. I mean, you look at Look at the results statewide. Um, I think there are some Republicans that that view themselves as a little different than the Republicans of the nineteen nineties or the or the whatever we're calling the decade, the the aughts, the whatever. aughts, yeah,
1: and the okay. teens. But certainly, I, if you if you can earmark, if you can like like absolutely link that money to that project, it. because right. that's one of the things yeah. that you've heard from Republicans a lot yeah. of times is they right. worry that the money then gets siphoned off for other needs and. You mean mean unions, right? uh, Yeah, (laughs) that would be what (laughs) they'd say. So a couple of other little bits and pieces here before we wrap up the budget conversation. There are trailer bills that are part of this budget. Uh, By the time you hear all of this, uh, some of these trailer bills will move forward. But I just wanted to note a couple of things. Uh, One trailer bill has a pilot project for the CHP to uh, find a body camera policy for highway patrol officers. That has been in the headlines. We've talked about local police, highway patrol, and people who stop people on the roads all the time. That'll be interesting to watch. Uh, A couple of things in the universe of CEQA, everybody's favorite uh, California Environmental Quality Act. Not everybody's favorite, but that's okay. We've been talking about CEQA for a long time. Uh, There is, uh, looks like, um, shout out to our uh, world champion Golden State Warriors. Not only do they get a trophy this week, but it looks like they're going to get some more time for their CEQA um, exemption plan for a new stadium in San Francisco. So they
3: can abandon Oakland and move with with the other Other billionaires moved to San Francisco. I'm just going to ignore
2: that. Um,
1: Where is the Oakland resident governor on that? I don't know. Where's Gil Duran when you need him? He's an Oakland resident. Shout out. But anyway, so there's that CEQA project as well as a Hollywood development project and a trailer bill. Um, There's some discussion about water projects, water recycling and groundwater Uh, and CEQA and some exemptions or new ways to look at that in a trailer bill. There's some discussion about redevelopment, which appears to be a little grumpy here as we're sitting here talking about it on Thursday. So we'll see what the hell comes out of that. Um, So those were all interesting. And then just a completely non-policy moment. Uh, For a brief moment, there looked like there was a Republican who had voted for the budget (laughs) in the state assembly. (laughs) So you get by for Monday
3: f- for Facebooking on the assembly floor.
1: So Assembly Member Scott Wilk, a Republican from Southern California, um, was uh, on Facebook apparently um, saying bad things about the budget. <laughs> 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 you can't make this stuff up and uh, and didn't notice that he hit the green button instead of the red button and had whoops voted for the California state budget, uh, not what all the rest of the Republicans were doing. And so he quickly had to change that vote later on. <laughs> the best on.
0: part is that he went to Twitter to admit his error. So like, he this... said
1: on Twitter, my wife is right. I can't multitask. Accidentally voted for budget while Facebooking against AB 93, the perils of social media.
0: I, I think that wasn't can just a dramatic reading, stand. but
1: yeah, just let that stand where it is. So. There'll be some budget bits and pieces that will come through actually, here I lately. Do have a oh, actually, Marisa would like to in. <laughs> I think there.
0: that the kerfuffle over that is just like indicative of how boring the budget vote really was, right? That was like literally the most exciting thing that happened on Monday.
1: There wasn't a lot of drama, especially, right? Because Monday was the budget that the governor said is not my budget. And then Tuesday was the deal, right? We knew where things were going to go down. We didn't really know where the ultimate deal with the governor was going to go. And we've right. talked about that. But yeah, there wasn't a lot to watch on Monday. And apparently there wasn't a lot to watch if you were an assembly member sitting on the floor. Sure. So more of that to come soon. But um, before we run out, we know it's your favorite podcast audience. The Side Dish. Okay, maybe it's not your favorite, but what the heck. Uh, little bits and pieces, morsels of um, of political news around California uh, I'm looking to see who's eager okay. to talk okay. first. Yay, Marisa Lagos, who uh, my colleague at KQED News. You can find her on Twitter at m Lagos.
0: So I'm uh, going to give Dave Siders at the B a little shout out here. He had a story this week about an invitation. Um, to this pretty new Stones Gambling Hall uh, in Citrus Heights, in which uh, members of the California Gambling Commission were invited invited to what's billed as an influencer reception. Um, notable not only for just how bald faced the invitation was, but um, Jimmy Evans, who has been uh, the deputy press secretary chairman. for Governor Brand.
1: Chairman Brown, will now call him Chairman. Is Evans. now
0: chairman of this uh, illustrious commission. So uh, remains to be seen whether anybody on the commission, including uh, Jim, shows up for this. But it, it was just a, an interesting moment, and I think a little peek into you know the way things work up here. I think uh, a lot of the industries that are overseen by state commissions, you know, want to do whatever they can to. Uh, to get on those folks' good side and and show them what they're doing, it's,
1: you don't see many uh, invitations for uh, something called an influencer <laughs> reception. But I got to give them a little bit of credit for just being honest, right?
0: I mean, being hey.
1: dumb enough to be honest, right? <laughs> <I'm> like, <"Hey, laughs> That's my motto. Come on over. I mean, you know, it does say that it's reportable if you go. It's like a you know, you have to report that you got like you know, food, drink, whatever. But influencer reception, how yeah. can you not just <laughs> go wow to that? Yeah, and, usually
0: they. they they kinda hide it a little bit more. Yeah. So
1: maybe one day we can invite right. the new chairman of the gambling control. Usually commission. they call it a policy retreat, right? Right. <laughs> That's, uh... Not a junket. Right. yeah, exactly. we'll, Like I said, we'll address this to the new Just chairman. Just a reception. Who, uh, the new chairman, who Marisa and Anthony and I, and a lot of reporters know well, because uh, Jim Evans was a longtime reporter and has been with the governor for a while, and now he's got to run the Gambling Commission, and I don't envy him <laughs> Good that luck.
0: Good <laughs> luck, Mr. Evans.
1: <laughs> so, uh, side dish from our friend Anthony York uh, of the Grizzly Bear Project, who you can find on Twitter at Anthony York 49
3: uh, my side dish comes courtesy of the California Labor Commission and uh, a ruling this week that uh, that an Uber driver is, in, in fact, an employee. Um, there was a, a case involving a driver saying that Uber owed her unpaid wages and other expenses. Uber said, hey, man, we're not employers. We're, we're just a platform, man. And the Labor Commission not buying it. And so um, this is the, the latest development in sort of the ongoing Struggle to regulate and control um, ride sharing and other uh, other parts of the share economy, and this could have wide ranging consequences for the future of companies like Uber and Lyft, and who knows whether uh, you know what else it might portend for companies like Airbnb and other other. Uh, share economy uh, stalwarts
0: yeah it's fascinating to me too to see how sort of government is grappling with this in different ways we've seen state regulators at the puc make you know rulings over the past few years we've seen the legislature step in we've seen locals try to you know this is just like one sort of area of it it's it's under appeal but it, it would have huge implications particularly for these so-called ride-sharing companies so i yeah when you get a bill, it doesn't feel kind, like you're kind of you, anything. It
3: kind of makes you think big big picture that maybe Uber should have just paid the four thousand dollars the woman was asking for up front instead of uh, allowing this ruling to happen, which could have much larger implications for their business model.
1: Well, and it could just have larger political implications too, because I'm just not convinced that this thing gets resolved in the in the normal course of business. I mean, if you're Uber and Lyft and you've got and, and other ride-sharing entities and anything in these kind of this new economy where you can get PR publicity out of the normal way of business don't you just go to the world of politics in some other way? I mean, ballot measures and other campaigns and other ways to do things. I mean, that's how you get things done in California a lot.
0: And I think it's going to be really interesting to see the way Democrats react to this kind of stuff because, yeah. it, it, you know, there's this this desire, I think, to be sort of pro-tech and, and, and to look like we're embracing these new models. But this really cuts to not only a lot of the sort of labor issues that are near and dear to Democrats, but a lot of the poverty discussions we're having Absolutely. and about the way people are Paid and benefits, and what that means for government when you have people who don't get, you know, health benefits or reimbursements. So, yep. it's it's a really sticky issue, I think, for a lot of politicians.
3: And we, and in Airbnb, it has implications for housing prices in places like San Francisco, right. and what it's done to housing stock and to real estate markets in some of these places as well. And so, the affordable housing question is also linked very closely to these issues associated with the share economy. I think it's a it is a, a political landmine. Um and I and and it does highlight some differences among Democrats. We've seen Democrats weigh in on different sides of this issue, and I think it's going to be uh, interesting to watch over the next couple of years. I, something tells me this governor's race might yeah might uh, somehow hinge
1: upon this. You are an incredible transition to my side I, dish. Call me Segway. and like, it's not just because it's
3: not it's not just because of my mode of transportation you you make that Segway joke
1: like every week, but <laughs> like every <laughs> single week York now but the great thing is here podcast audience, he has no idea what my side dish was because we didn't talk about it before but it is though he knew it it's so my like Warged it it's a that's a Game of Thrones reference. yes it was yeah. and uh, uh, you know nothing
0: <laughs> oh, Okay. John Snow okay. Anthony
1: York all right, all right. poor Moving John on. snow that's another podcast we lost a good segue we lost if we lost the audience <laughs> um, so my before my side dish my side dish and you can find me on Twitter at John Myers. Um, is about the race for governor in 2018 and a little nugget that was posted online this week um, uh, on the website Fox & Hounds run by Joel Fox, longtime um, uh, anti-tax crusader. But this was a nugget that he posted about a conference this week sponsored by the Civil Justice Association of California. And on the panel, a political consultant that Marisa and Anthony and I know well and others in the world of politics do, Kevin Spillane, longtime Republican, uh, political strategist, was talking about the 2018 race for governor and that he believes, and maybe because he knows, uh, he does work with a lot of Republicans who find themselves somewhat um, more in the middle of the, the Republican ideological spectrum, I would say. Probably not diehard right. He's worked with a lot of people who have independently funded campaigns. Anyway, uh, Kevin mentioned the name of Charlie Munger, Charles Munger, the wealthy uh, um, uh, Silicon Valley tinkerer in the world of politics and other things, that Mr. Munger uh, may be interested in putting money into a governor's race to help a Republican in 2018, and two names that got floated around according to this article um, that would be looked at. One we've heard, actually we've heard of both, what the heck am I saying? Ashley Swearingen, the mayor of Fresno, uh, and Kevin Faulconer, the mayor of San Diego. Both I think would present themselves as different kinds of Republicans, would certainly seek to present themselves that way. But a big issue for Republicans is, do you have enough money in a state like this where there aren't a lot of Republicans? And a lot of people believe that Republicans don't have a chance in a statewide race. You've got a Gavin Newsom or a Tom Steyer Mm -hmm. or an Antonio Villaraigosa on the Democratic side in 2018. And uh, Charlie Munger's money could play a role, um, certainly as an independent expenditure effort uh, for or against someone. That could be interesting to watch.
0: Also, just let's just hope that Kevin Spillane will be his consultant just because he's entertaining.
1: Yes, he is. Yeah, right. Can <laughs> you guys wasn't Spillane the one you did
3: the dramatic reading? Wasn't that Mabicolo oh, yeah. and Spillane? Oh, yeah. Yes. Great. So although
0: yeah. I don't think we could really ever do Spillane justice. I mean if, if you've ever been on the receiving end of an angry phone call from Splane, you know what I'm talking about. So,
1: Kevin, call us up and let us know what you think.
0: But <laughs> yeah, I, tell us what you think about our But podcast. anyway,
1: but my, my point of that side dish is, you know, if, if you've got some people talking about money for a governor's race, that could be interesting. I mean, you know, and certainly 2018 is a long time away, but, you know, it's worth a side dish. OK, that's enough for this week. We've... We've uh, talked about budget. We've talked about random stuff. We're going to let you go back to your day. That is Marisa Lagos from KQED News, Anthony York from the Grizzly Bear Project, and I'm John Myers from KQED News. As always, thanks for listening to this California Politics Podcast.